0: First Samuel chapter 17. Uh, we come today to one of the most familiar stories in 1 Samuel, maybe one of the most familiar stories in all of the Bible. It is the story of David and Goliath. It is familiar to old people and it is familiar to young people. For young people in this story, David is a biblical superhero. He is Peter Parker become Spider-Man. For older people, David is the iconic model of the scrappy underdog who finds a way to be successful. Uh, I know that many of the older people in our church, I don't know exactly where that line is, uh, but pretty much if you knew who Peter Parker was, you're a younger person. If you did it, you're an older person. I think that's uh, how that works. Uh, I got his name from my daughters, okay? But uh, many of the older people uh, have read Malcolm Gladwell's book about uh, David and Goliath. uh, Because every time I mention it, a whole bunch of people come up and tell me about that book. Uh, I've read the book. I've read it twice. Very, very interesting book. Uh, But Malcolm Gladwell is an economist, not a Bible scholar. And so if the book might help you be a better businessman, businesswoman, it's a good book, uh, perhaps. Uh, But if you're looking for insight into this biblical account, that's not the place to turn. And you'll see that if you're familiar with that book as we go through this message. Actually, and this may surprise you, but the story of David and Goliath is... I believe, one of the most difficult passages in all of the Bible to preach. And the reason that is, is because you've heard so many sermons already on David and Goliath. You've been hearing them since you were a kid, if you're a church person, and you pretty much have them memorized. Uh, Many sermons have been preached on David and Goliath, some more faithful to the scripture than others. Uh, In fact, I think some of the very worst sermons I've ever heard in my life uh, were preached on David and Goliath, uh, but there have been many faithful sermons preached on it as well. I don't have anything new or novel to say about this chapter or this story, uh, but I do believe that if we take a fresh look at this, uh, even though it's a familiar story, we can be reminded of some important truths That will encourage us and strengthen us in our walk with the Lord. Now, as we begin, I I want you to know that there are really two different ways to find application in the story of David and Goliath. One of those ways, and the one that you hear perhaps more often, is that we imagine ourselves as David, We imagine ourselves as the underdog facing the great impossible battle, and we learn lessons from the story about how we can be victorious. Uh, There is another way, though, to look at this, and that's not to see us as David, but to see us as the Israelite soldiers, and to see Christ as David. And I think that perhaps is Uh, the more faithful way to look at this passage, uh, but both ways are true. So I think today we're going to focus on the first of those, uh, but we are saving the best to last. Next week, if the Lord allows, we will look at it through the lens of Christ. And that's what I can't wait to get to. And I look forward to preaching that message. So let's just read. It's a familiar story, but, but we should read it. 1 Samuel 17, we'll begin in verse 1. It's a lengthy passage. We'll skip around a little bit, but I want us to look at much of this. Uh, the Philistines gathered, in verse 1, uh, they gathered their forces for war at Socah in Judah and camped between Sokah and Ezekiah in Ephes-Demim. Saul, verse two, and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah, and they lined up for battle formation to face the Philistines. So again, the Israelites and the Philistines are adversaries. And so here they are uh, lined up against each other in battle. There's an impasse here. And really to understand the impasse that'll be described in the next few verses uh, we, need to, we need to understand something about the geography. And I didn't understand this, frankly, until I went to Israel. Uh, this battle would have happened somewhere between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, closer to Bethlehem than Jerusalem, but those aren't distant cities. And when you get to that area, you see these rolling hills Uh, rolling hills maybe isn't the best description because the hills are pretty tall. They're not mountains, but they're pretty tall and the valleys are pretty steep. And the hills are, they're not a great distance apart. In fact, if you are a really, really good golfer, and you've got a really good drive, you could probably drive a golf ball from the top of one hill to the top of the other. Maybe a thousand feet, 900 feet, some of you can do that, I know. And so here are these two hills and the two armies are cresting the hills facing each other. Now, you've gotta understand that in the kind of battle that they would engage in in those days, the worst thing that could happen would be for you to be below your enemy because it was hard to fight uphill. The fights involved throwing things like rocks and Uh, spears. It it involved shooting arrows from very rudimentary bows. Uh, It involved running up to people and knocking them over and cutting them. And so all of those things are hard to do uphill. And so if you were in the valley, you pretty much were guaranteed to lose. And so you've got these two armies both on the crest of the hill and there's really no way forward. Because neither army is going to attack the other because to attack them, you'd have to run down into the valley and up the next hill, very steep hill, and you'd almost certainly be defeated. And so here they are in battle ray against one another for a very, very long time. So let's, uh, let's see how this plays out. Verse three, the Philistines were standing on one hill and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. And then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. He wore a bronze helmet, a bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins and a bronze javelin he slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer, was walking in front of him. Now, you should know as we read this description that this is a literal description. When we read the Bible, we need to approach it understanding that the Bible is true. It's not a fable. It's not just some fairy tale These are historical details. And when it says that the battle happened in a certain place, and when it says that there was a giant named Goliath that proceeded from the Philistines and he was nine feet, nine inches tall, those are literal facts. The Bible is true in everything that it says. It is infallible. It is inerrant. It never speaks with error. It is true. It is true. The main point of this description here, and we could go into detail and talk about each of these uh, measurements, but the point is this, Uh, Goliath was a great warrior and really he would be impossible to defeat on a, on a battlefield. Well, let's continue to read verse eight. Uh, he stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations. Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them, am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have them come down against me. And so this would have been a proxy battle, so to speak. Uh, two men will fight and the winner is the winner. It, it didn't ever worked out that way and it didn't here. Uh, but that's what he's talking of. Verse 9, if he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Now you should know, and we'll see this again, that this was not as much a geopolitical battle, a struggle. Uh, This was really a struggle to determine who served the greatest God. Was it the God of the Philistines or was it the God of the Israelites? And so the question, it's a religious question. Who serves the greatest God? Well, we continue to read. Let's skip down Maybe to verse sixteen it says every morning and evening for forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand and so forty days twice a day eighty times so far uh, that would be uh, uh, well you, you wonder how long are the Israelites going to put up uh, with this. Uh, Uh, this defeat really, when they would refuse to fight, Uh, good question. And we're going to come back, come back to that question. Uh, let's skip now down to verse 23 says while he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. Okay. So now David is on the scene. Uh, David, We learned a little of him last week. He was anointed to be the king, but he's not the king. In fact, he's not even a soldier in the army. Uh, he still lives with his dad and he's taking care of the sheep, but he's been sent to check on his brothers who were in the army. And now he's here and he hears the challenge of Goliath. Uh, reading further down in verse 32, there's so much important text that we're skipping. I hope you'll go back and read. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And so David ends up standing before the king, King Saul, King Saul, who should have been the one out fighting the Philistine. And David says, don't be discouraged. I'll go. Verse 33. But Saul replied, you can't go fight the Philistine. You're just a youth and he's been a warrior since he was young. Why do you think the king was opposed to David fighting the Philistine? Uh, Because you know that when David runs out on the battlefield, everybody is going to be asking the same question. Why is it David and not Saul that's representing us? Saul certainly didn't want people asking that question. Uh, Let's continue to read Well, let's just continue. Verse 34, David answered, uh, Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. And whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it. I struck it down and I rescued the lion from its mouth. And if it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down and kill it. That's pretty impressive, right? Verse 36, your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Again, you can see it's a religious struggle. Then David said, verse 37, this is important. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, may the Lord be with you. Well, what was David's confidence in? He said, the Lord who rescued me from the lion and the bear is the same Lord that will rescue me from the, from the Philistine. I want to skip all the way down to verse 40. David said to the Philistine, so the battle has begun. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies and the God of the ranks of Israel you have defied him. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I will strike you down, remove your head and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. And then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear, but by the Lord that he saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will hand you over to us. So, A little bit of trash talking. This is the first time we have trash talking in history. And David said, this is what I'm going to do with your head. Well, the Philistine knows how to trash talk. Look at verse 48. When the Philistine started forward to attack him, uh, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag. Um, Actually, I, I skipped the Philistine's trash talking, didn't I? Uh, so that's back up in 41 and 42. We'll come back to that. Uh, 49, David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. Now, uh, how did David defeat Goliath? Uh, well, uh, there is no Malcolm Gladwell subtext here. And if you don't know that book, that's fine. But I know so many of you do. Uh, there is no evidence here that David defeated Goliath because Goliath had bad eyesight, eyesight, Uh, bad mobility, bad skin health, or bad liver enzymes, okay? That's not in the biblical account. Uh, There is no example of David using tactical asymmetrical strategies, that's the Gladwell stuff, to win an unlikely battle. The way this is presented to us, uh, the emphasis is on the impossibility of David uh, by his own devices, ever defeating Goliath. This is not just an unlikely underdog story. Uh, This isn't just like the miracle on ice back in 1980 where uh, the U.S. beat the Soviet Union in, um, in hockey. This isn't like SFA beating number one Duke in 2019. That was unlikely, but not impossible. Uh, this isn't like Appalachian State beating A&M in 2022. Uh, this is an absolute impossibility. Think SEAL Team 6 versus Barney Fife. Uh, think Captain America versus Danny Tevito. David on the battlefield would be like me in a beauty pageant. My kids helped me with all of those. (laughs) Pray for me. (laughs) So why do we need to know though about David's victory? Well, remember the, perhaps the greatest reason we need to know about this victory is for what it's going to say about the victory of Christ. And as I said, we're saving the best for last, but also We need to know about this victory because we need victory. Life, our lives are sometimes hard. We have challenges and hardships and impossible odds. God calls us to do great things, to fight great enemies. And we have so many giants in our lives. Uh, What can our giants be? Sometimes it's issues with our children. Sometimes it's an issue in marriage or it's a persistent sin uh, or it's an issue in uh, our work for the lord or in our ministry maybe it's the consequences of our poor choices or the poor choices of those around us maybe it's uh, maybe the giant has to do with the uncertainty of your future or something with your schooling or your career um, but we all face some giants and there are some lessons we can learn here about how david did it and how we can do it and so that's where i want us to focus now Uh, I was very ambitious when I wrote this message, uh, seven points. And then this morning, you may not know we do this, but early on Sunday morning, I come in here and preach an emergency message, uh, in case we have technical problems with our simulcast. And so this morning I was preaching the emergency message right here. And I got two points done, and I had been here an hour. <laughs> so, so I went back to my office, and we um, uh, put it on the chopping block a little bit. But let me tell you, your outline may not help you much in your worship guide. Uh, we do have a 5 o'clock Thanksgiving dinner today. <laughs> I don't want to interfere with that. Um, So I'm going to skip a lot of blanks. We might come back to these next week. Um, uh, Or maybe this will just be homework. But I'll at least tell you what the blanks are. Will that help you? I know some people really struggle with an unfilled blank. (laughs) So number, number one, how did David defeat the giant? David was offended by the thing that offended the Lord. That's all I have to say about that this morning. Number two. David put his confidence in the Lord. Now, what does this passage teach us about confidence, about self-confidence? Should we be people filled with self-confidence? That's the philosophy of the world. Uh, You've heard the Zig Ziglar messages, right? You've read the motivational books. You've learned about the power of self-confidence and positive thinking. Is that what we should do? Is that how we should conquer the world? Is that what the Bible is teaching us? Is this about self-confidence? You know, we talked a little bit last week about whether or not we should build up our kids' self-esteem as parents. If we could convince them that they have a sufficient aptitude, wisdom, strength, goodness, and endurance to accomplish anything, should we do that? We talked about that famous verse that so many people like to quote, I can do all things. And then we tack on the phrase, through Christ who strengthens me, Uh, should we seek to have greater and greater self-confidence? Well, the story of David and Goliath is not at all a story of self-confidence, and when the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that is not a verse about self-confidence. In fact, it is just the opposite of that. And I want you to see that here in this story. What was David's motivation? Well, look back with me at verse 37. Verse 37. It says then David said, "The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand Of this Philistine. Now, the fight with the Philistine was not David's first fight. David had already fought the lions and the bears. And he fought them alone, and he fought them at night with no special weapons or training, and he was victorious. Now, according to David's own testimony, why was he able, how was he able to defeat the lions and the bears? Because the Lord defeated the lions and the bears. And so now he faces Goliath and where is his confidence? It's not a self-confident approach. David isn't saying, look at me, I've beat up a lot of wild animals, I can handle this man. No, David had just the opposite of that. Not self-confidence, but God-confidence. David said, I've fought some great battles, and in every situation, God has given me victory, but the victory came specifically from the Lord. And just like the Lord had no problem with the lions and the tigers, I don't think the Lord's going to have any problem with Goliath. So I'm confident, not self-confident, but God confident. Uh, He was not a lion whisperer. Uh, David didn't have the strength of the bear, the quickness of the lion, Uh, no special resources. David didn't have confidence in himself. He had confidence in the Lord. We looked at a verse, I think last week, uh, that I want to look back to just quickly. Psalm 20, Psalm 21, Psalm 20 was a Psalm that David wrote, a prayer that David wrote later when he was the King. And it's a prayer that he would lead the nation to pray before they would go into battle. Psalm 21 is the prayer. He would lead them to pray after the battle was concluded. So pre-battle, post-battle. Well, in the pre-battle prayer, verse 7, Psalm 27, listen to this. They're about to go into battle. This is how David, when he became the king, would lead them to pray. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. That's David's confidence. The Lord, it was a God confidence. Now, why shouldn't we have self-confidence. I, I, I know what the business books say. I know what the positive thinking uh, movement says. I know what Oprah Winfrey says. Uh, but, but why shouldn't we have just this uh, positive thinking, self-confident attitude, name it and claim it kind of attitude? Well, simply because there's no basis for it. Uh, apart from the Lord, you ultimately are not in control of your selfish and sinful heart and neither are your kids apart from the Lord. You cannot accomplish anything of eternal value and apart from the Lord, you cannot generate any of the fruit of the spirit, love and joy and patient patience and peace and goodness and kindness and so forth. Let me walk through those quickly. Apart from the Lord, you cannot control your selfish and sinful hearts. Listen to a, just a little bit of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 7. You should read that whole chapter. It may surprise you, but listen to just two or three verses. Paul is talking about his own testimony. And Paul said in verse 18 and 19, For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is within me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good I want to do, I practice the evil I do not want to do. Paul said, this is so frustrating because I want to do good, but my heart in sin just lead me down some wrong paths. Uh, What uh, Paul is saying is that apart from the Lord, none of us can conquer sin and selfishness. He ends that chapter uh, saying in verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And, and then he answers it in the next two verses, and those are key, but that's another sermon. Uh, ultimately, you should have no self-confidence because we are not in control of our selfish and sinful hearts apart from the Lord. We also, as I said, apart from the Lord, will ac- accomplish nothing of an eternal value. First Corinthians 315 says everything I do that I do not do for the Lord and with the Lord that in the end all of that will burn up and then the fruit of the spirit uh, that's what everybody wants you want a life filled with love and joy peace patience and goodness that's what everybody wants but the bible says that's the fruit of the spirit it's not something that you generate it's something the holy spirit generates in you well, how can that happen? Listen to what Jesus said. John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me stays close to me and I in him. He will bear much fruit for apart from me, you can bear no fruit. No fruit. We shouldn't have self-confidence because there's just no good reason for it. David was not a man of self-confidence. David was a man of God confidence. Now, number two, David recognized that it was God who worked in and through him. Now, this is very similar to the previous point, but I want to highlight a couple of additional verses. In uh, chapter 17, verse 45, listen to this. David said to the Philistine, you come against me. Now let me pause. There's something unusual here in this verse. See if you can pick it up. There is an odd comparison here. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies. So do you see the contrast? What was the, what were the weapons of Goliath? Well, a sword, a spear, and a javelin. What were the weapons of David? And I know you want to say, well, it was a sling and a stone. That's not what he says. He says, You come at me with sword, spirit, and javelin. I come to you with the name of the Lord. So David had one weapon. In his eyes, he had one effective weapon the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. David recognized that if the giant was going to fall, it was. It was going to fall because of the Lord. His confidence was 100% in the Lord. And he understood that the Lord was his only tool. His only weapon. His only weapon. So here's a key lesson. That I have struggled to learn. Any real change in your life. Any real victory in your life will come from the Lord, or it will not come. Christianity is not like a multivitamin, you know, that just helps you out a little bit. Uh, Christianity is, is not here just to give you a little boost in life and a little boost in your marriage and family. Um, you don't need from the Lord just a little bit of help overcoming sin. No, you need God to step in and do it. It's the Lord who works through us. And those uh, who don't understand that are simply failing to understand the depth of their own sinfulness. Again, David didn't feat, defeat Goliath because he was clever because he had some asymmetrical strategy or because he had some hidden skill. David defeated Goliath because he cooperated with God's plan. He surrendered to God and he let God have the victory. So I want to share a story with you, a personal story. Um, I know I'm out of time. uh, I hesitate to share. I've hesitated now for over a year to share this story with you. Uh, Because I fear people are going to focus on the gaps in the story uh, and not learn the lesson. Uh, But I was thinking about it this week and the Apostle Paul shared a story about the thorn in the flesh and he never told anybody what it was. And uh, the Apostle Paul also said that uh, he experienced something in the third heaven and he's not allowed to speak on it. So I'm going to take from that a little bit of permission and liberty to share just pieces of a story that'll make you ask questions, but I don't want you to ask questions. I want you to focus on the lesson learned. So Wednesday, August the 4th, 2021, 473 days ago, I count the days. I count the days every day. I was broken over sin was more broken over sin than I've ever been any other time in my life. I was broken over a particular sin. What the sin was is not the point. I was broken over a particular sin. It was a sin I had confessed to the Lord a million times. And I was overwhelmed with guilt. I was mad. I mean, really mad. I was mad at me. And I was mad at God. I'd done everything I knew to overcome the sin. It's not that there were not other sins in my life at that point and, and today, but that one sin was a dagger in my heart every day. I had prayed every prayer I knew to pray. I'd read every book I knew of that had been written on this sin. I employed every strategy. I confessed to close friends. I sought their prayer. And I tried very, very hard. Now, it's not some sort of disqualifying sin, so we don't need to have a talk. Um, But I told God that day I was here in my study at church Wednesday morning. I told God that day I was finished with the fight. I didn't even have it in me to pray and ask for forgiveness even one more time. And I certainly didn't have it in me to ever tell God again that I was going to do better. I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know how else to gain any needed strength. I had lost hope. I just couldn't believe that this was a thorn that God wanted me to live with for the rest of my life. I didn't know, but I was at the end of my rope. And on that day, I wrestled with God in prayer for two or three hours. I don't ordinarily pray that long. I'm not that spiritual. But that day I did. I wept, literally wept. I expressed my anger. I pleaded for something. And something happened. If you've been under my preaching very long, you know I'm not a real mysterious, um, mysterious, a believer in many mysterious things. But something happened, and I don't know how to explain it. But God instantly lifted a burden. I say instantly. I mean, it was hours, but uh, God lifted a burden. And I knew then that something had changed in my life. And I knew then somehow I would never struggle with that sin ever again. I thought of Genesis chapter 32. Do you know that chapter Jacob wrestles with God? It's a really odd chapter. But in that chapter, Jacob wrestles with God all night long. And God changed him. In fact, God indicated the change by changing Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel and God wounded Jacob by dislocating his hip and Jacob walked with a limp the rest of his life. You know, I've read that passage a hundred times, probably many hundreds of times. I've never really known exactly what it meant and I still don't. But 473 days ago, I think I experienced exactly what Jacob did. And God changed me in a radical and a permanent way. And God wounded me, uh, maybe forever. And uh, I'll tell you about that in a sermon in about 20 years. (laughs) So here's the lesson. I was never going to defeat that giant with my own strength and my own cleverness. It was only when I came to the end of my rope, surrendered fully, that then God stepped in and did what only he could do. Had God made that change in my heart 10 years earlier, like I had begged him to do, I would have taken credit for it. But he did it at a time that I knew I had nothing to do with it. Now, there's one more part to this story, and this will just introduce more things people will wonder about more than you should wonder. Um, but fast forward uh, about. Little over a year, six to eight, six or eight weeks ago, uh, my wife Donna and I were presented with our biggest challenge of our lifetimes. I've not shared with anybody, well, with one person in the church. Jeff, uh, he's homesick with the flu, but Jeff Thompson knows, and there's not anybody else in Texas who knows this story. Um, But something. Something bad happened and it was unexpected. It's not a marriage thing, it's not a financial thing, it's not a legal thing, it's not a medical thing, it's not a church thing or a ministry career kind of thing. It's the biggest problem either one of us have ever faced. There've been some hard days since then. Like I said, it's a private matter, I I don't don't wanna talk about details. But here's what I want you to hear. God knew this was going to happen. I mean, God hates it as much as I do more, but God knew it was going to happen. And if it would have happened 474 days ago, if it would have happened before I wrestled with God, I would have driven myself crazy trying to fix it. I'm a fixer. I've never had a problem that I didn't think I could fix if I just got up a little earlier in the morning and worked a little harder. And I would, have, uh, I would have driven myself crazy trying to fix this problem. But church, I have complete peace today about this. I mean, my heart is broken, but I have peace because I trust the Lord to fix it. And I learned that, and I'm embarrassed to tell you, that it was so recently, but I learned that 473 days ago. Just like David learned to fight Goliath by first fighting the lions and the bears. David had peace when he fought Goliath because of the lions and the bears. I have peace in this struggle because of the wrestling with God 473 days ago. Now, what is the lesson? The big lesson? It is God who r- brings changes in our lives. And we need to turn to the Lord for those things. Now, I'm way over on time. But you don't get the whole thing if I don't go to point i I'm not going to give you all the blanks. I lied. Um, we'll, I, I'll go back perhaps and just preach all those next week. But look at the last point. David was resolved to persevere in the struggle. Why did David pick up five smooth stones? Do you know? I don't think we even read that verse. I think it's verse 40. He, he picked up five stones before he, before he ran to the giant. Uh, it is not because there's some hidden biblical meaning in the number five. Uh, it is not because Goliath had four brothers. It is not because the five smooth stones represent five spiritual gifts, you know, Bible reading and evangelism and giving and prayer. And, and, uh, listen, I've heard all those messages <laughs> and, uh, none of those are true. In fact, I've wanted to stand up in a message where a pastor says that the five smooth stones stood for reading your Bible, number one, and praying number two, and going to church number three. And I wanted to stand up and say, but well, but David only threw one of the stones. <laughs> so which one of those do you want us to really do? You know, David threw the other stones away. Um, no, listen. You know why David picked up five s- stones? In case he missed the first four times. I mean, it's just that simple. He picked up five because he thought he'd probably miss him. And he needed more than one. He didn't need one. He didn't need two or three or four. He. I think he probably had a pouch that hold five stones. And that's why I picked it up. If the pouch had held 20 stones, I think he would have picked up 20 stones. Now here's the lesson. Uh, The point, I don't know if I said that David was resolved to persevere in the struggle. is point number seven, but here's the lesson. Just because we're trusting the Lord to win the victory, to make the change, doesn't mean that we sit idly by David was trusting God to defeat Goliath, but he didn't just walk out there with his hands in his pockets. No, he picked up a a stone. I I don't think God needed the stone to defeat Goliath, but David, he was cooperating with God. He runs out on the field, but he picks up stones. He's going to scrap as hard as he can. He's going to throw a stone. If it doesn't work, he's going to throw another one. He's going to throw another one. I think if he had run out of stones, he'd have started throwing fists at uh, Goliath's knees or something. So at the end of the day, church, if there's a change in your life or in your situation, it's going to be because God does it. However, you need to pick up a bunch of stones and stay in the fight until God does not listen to what the apostle Paul said in first Corinthians nine The apostle Paul says I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air Instead I discipline my body and I bring it under the strictest control so that after preaching to others I may not be disqualified The apostle Paul says over and over that you can't change you only God can change you You can't overcome sin only God can overcome sin through you He said so I'm praying that God will change me but in the meantime I'm going to throw as many stones at sin as I possibly can. We need to keep slinging stones at the giant. We need to keep fighting. We need to keep praying. We need to keep surrendering. We need to keep trusting. We need to keep hoping. And we need to trust the Lord. Just so your head bowed, eyes nice closed. Father in heaven, um, We are so self-reliant. We are so arrogant. We are so self-confident. And all of those are lies straight from the pit of hell. They separate us from you. They keep us from experiencing the change and the victory and the power of God in our lives. Father, help us to understand that, that Paul said it was only in my weakness that I knew the strength and power of Christ. Father, forgive us for our self-confidence. Forgive us for our arrogance. And let us come to you and ask you to change us. And let us be hopeful every day for that change. While the whole time we're slinging stones at sin. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, both services. There'll be people in the front that love to share with you how you can become a child of Christ. You come.